Good morning. Um, the Bible reading this morning is from um, 1 Kings, chapter 1, and beginning at verse 1 through to verse 40. And you'll find that on page 513 of the Church Bibles. Okay, so beginning with verse 1. When King David was very old, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers on him. So his attendants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our lord, the king, may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no sexual relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Hagath, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got his chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never rebuked him by asking, Why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei and Rai and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle and fattened calves at the stone of Zahilath, near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the special guard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Hagath, has become king, and our lord David knows nothing about it? Now then... Let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go into King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me your servant, surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and add my word to what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag, the Shunammite, was attending him. Bathsheba bowed down, prostrating herself before the king. What is it you want? the king asked. She said to him, My lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God. Solomon, your son, shall be become king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves and sheep, and, his, and has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army, but he has not invited Solomon your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and the king was told, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed with his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord the king, declared that Adonijah shall be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. 
At this very moment, they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adonijah. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting his servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your lord's servants with you and put Solomon my son on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There shall Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the Carathites and the Pelathites, went down and put Solomon on King David's mule, and they escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. Done, Debbie. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, that's just the start. We're doing 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2 today. I wonder what you make of it. Are you confused? Because it was really hard to follow with all those strange place names and people names. Guess what? What follows are more strange things, more counterplots, more plots, and in chapter 2, assassinations. Does this make you fascinated? My family have really enjoyed watching uh, the Netflix series The Crown. This makes The Crown look very tame, right? Are you shocked that this stuff could actually be in the Bible? But this is the Old Testament, right? This has nothing to do with us, does it? Think again. Jesus tells us that when we should pray, we should pray, Your kingdom come. Most of us wouldn't think that the transitions to God's, king, to God's kingdom coming would involve the sort of things we've seen here. And yet, in the unfolding storyline of the Bible, what we've just read is itself an illustration of the coming of the kingdom of God. Because the golden age of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament was, in fact, during Solomon's reign, right? We've just heard how Solomon's reign came in. So the coming of Solomon's kingdom in the Old Testament is in fact the best illustration there of what the coming of the kingdom of God might mean in the future. 
And of course, there'll be differences, but there will be similarities, which means we need to pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need your help. Uh, It's a big story and it's unfamiliar to us, so we pray, help us to be able to um, think about the detail and get it in our heads. But also we ask for help by your spirit to apply what we've heard and learnt through Jesus who comes after this moment. So please help us and shape our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. If you're confused about what's happening, let's go through it. This is going to take most of the time. Chapter 1 begins when King David was very old. 1 Kings chapter 2 begins when the time draws near for David to die. In other words, this is a time of regime change. Now, let me just clear, clear it that this passage was not chosen because of any parallels happening here with Cameron and Kez going and me coming. And let me just say, assassinating any would-be rivals would be a misapplication, <laughs> just in case anyone is nervous. But times of leadership change can be tr- tricky, can't they? Um, There can be ambitious people who will jockey for position, form sides, seek alliances and quickly act as sideline rivals. Uh, This happened in Solomon's time. And so 1 Kings chapter 1 asks the basic question, who will be king, right, after David is gone? Once that question is answered, chapter 2 asks the next question. What will the new king do about those who've opposed him? So chapter 1, who will be king? The chapter opens with David, old and weak. He's so weak he needs a human hot water bottle to keep him warm. Very desirable young woman, hot water bottle. Uh, Sorry to be disparaging, but that's her function here. This will be important later, but he's, he's frail and he's impotent. He's a king on the way out. Contrast him with the highly charged Adonijah, right? Adonijah is David's son, David's oldest surviving son, and therefore the one we might think should next be king. Adonijah thinks so. He looks the part. In verse 5, he puts himself forward. He says, I will be king. This is a major crisis. This is the crisis in the chapter. Why? Because in 1 Chronicles 22, the Lord God had already said, He'd already told David, Solomon would be king after David. Solomon was the Lord's choice for king. Who does Adonijah think he is to assume that kingship is something he can just take for himself? David had never done that in David's youth. David had had several chances to take the kingship from King Saul. He refused. It was a massive honour to become the king of God's people on earth. It was a massive sin to set yourself against the one whom God has decided should be king. Kingship in the kingdom of God is not something to decide for yourself. Uh, God decides this. But now Adonijah puts himself forward. I want to be king, as do we. It's the heart of sin. Rejecting God and the king God has put over us and asserting our own right to rule as we see fit. But it's as natural to us as the air we breathe. We've been doing it all our lives. 
We are experts at it. From, our little, from the time we were two and stamped our foot, stuck out our lips, we just get more sophisticated at it. And yet by setting himself directly against the very one whom God has said should be king, Adonijah makes himself, in fact, the prince of sinners. He wants to be king. How will he do it? In the Disney movie Aladdin, the first thing Aladdin must do to become a prince is to look the part and make an entrance. So his monkey Abu becomes an elephant for him to ride on along with musicians and trumpeters. In verse 5, Adonijah gets chariots and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him to make an entrance. And then he builds support. He enlists Joab, the army commander, Abiathar, the priest, Braun, and, um, you know, religion, I suppose. And then, with everything in place, he now makes his entrance. From verse 9, he comes into the city. Mind you, the corner of the city, furthest away from the palace, where David is, but he comes into the city, and in a huge public display, plays his hand, sacrificing sheep and cattle and calves in a manner clearly designed to look like he is the one who's God's choice. And to this spectacle, he invites all his younger brothers, the royal princes, all of them except Solomon and those on Solomon's side, Zadok the priest, Benaiah the soldier, Nathan the prophet. By not inviting them, Adonijah publicly humiliates them and sets himself up as Solomon's opponent. Adonijah has declared his hand in an all-or-nothing gamble. It's bold, it's decisive, it's very public. But just because Adonijah looks the king and attempts a coup, will it be enough? Now maybe, but maybe not. Because Solomon has his supporters. There's Nathan the prophet who takes the initiative. He goes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Now we haven't heard of Bathsheba since David's fling with her. Decades before, she's been a member of the court, but sidelined. Now she's back in the spotlight. Haven't you heard what's happened? Adonijah's become king. David doesn't know. So listen carefully how to save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go to David. Make him remember what he promised you, that Solomon would succeed him as king. And ask him why Adonijah's become king. And then at that moment, I'll come in. Bathsheba does it. She comes to David, once again, to his bedroom. Although it's not she who's in bed with him this time. Her life is in danger, and so is in Solomon. She bows, she bows down, she makes her speech, and then right on cue, Nathan comes in. He says, have you declared that Adonijah shall become king and sit on your throne? Adonijah's declared himself king and invited all his supporters. Is this, is this something you've done without letting us know? Now, this is the moment on which everything turns. The whole story, the whole history of Israel, the pattern of things to come, it all turns on King David's pronouncement in his inner room in verse 29. The king took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. That's the pronouncement. Very quickly, Solomon's supporters are sent for. 
priest, prophet, commander, Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah. Told to take the king's mule and with an armed escort and have Solomon ride it to Gihon and prophet and priest shall anoint Solomon king to trumpet blasts and shouts and then install him on David's throne. It's a moment immortalized in Handel's Messiah. whenever a king or queen of England becomes king or queen. It happens, Zadok, Nathan, Benaiah, together with the armed escort, have Solomon ride to his coronation, where he is anointed king to trumpet fanfare and the shout, Long live King Solomon! Shouts so loud, we're told, it made the ground shake. Solomon is made king. He is seated on David's throne. The music and shouts are so loud that Adonijah, in the corner of the city, Still feasting. He hears it. What's the noise? Is this good news? No. It couldn't have been worse. David has made Solomon king. Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the army commander have anointed him to loud acclaim. Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. The officials have given them their support. David has worshipped and praised God that kingship has been passed on to Solomon. Good news becomes bad news, depending on whose side you're on. Adonijah's supporters flee. And what a reversal. Only hours before, Adonijah had humiliated Solomon by not inviting him to the feast. Now it's Adonijah who's publicly humiliated. He runs in fear for his life to the only safe place he can go, to the altar. He holds on to the horns of the altar and he won't let go until the king grants him amnesty so long as he proved himself worthy and without evil. This now raises the question about what will happen. Solomon is on the throne. What will happen to Adonijah and his supporters, Joab, Abiathar? What will Solomon do regarding his opponents? What must he do if his rule is to be a peaceable one. And so comes chapter 2. Chapter 2 opens with David about to die. In his final words, David charges Solomon to do two things. First and foremost, as king, he must keep the covenant. Be strong, act like a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him, keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, so that David will continue to have a descendant on the throne. Secondly, David tells Solomon to tie up the loose ends of his reign by dealing with his opponents. Joab, ruthless and impetuous, who had murdered two of David's generals in cold blood and then thrown his support behind Adonijah. And Shimei, on the other end of the power scale, a, a common Benjaminite, who in 2 Samuel had opposed and mocked and pelted David with stones and publicly cursed him at David's lowest moment when he gloated over David's humiliation at Absalom's coup 
David was ejected from Jerusalem and was walking up the um, uh, Mount of Olives crying and in tears and Shimei was there throwing stones and cursing him and pelting him with filth. David had allowed Shimei to live but he knew Shimei's heart. He says to Solomon, deal with him. After those two final directives, David dies and all was well. Verse 12, Solomon sat on his throne, on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. All seems wonderful, except for verse 13. Now, Adonijah. Adonijah? What's he up to now? Adonijah goes to Bathsheba and says, as you know, the kingdom was mine. Everyone looked to me as the king. But things changed and the kingdom's gone to my brother for it's come to him from the Lord. But there's one thing I want you to do for me. Don't say no. What could it be? Okay. Do you remember at the start of chapter one, that detail about Abishag, the Shunammite, the human hot water bottle, very good looking, the beautiful young virgin, keeping David warm in bed at night. Adonijah says, please ask Solomon to give her to me as my wife. Now, what would prompt him to ask for that? Attraction? Pity for the girl? No. Or a strategic step to upstage even the great King David by showing himself more of a man in bed with this girl than even his father could have been. It's a play for power. And he plays Bathsheba to put his request to Solomon. Bathsheba, you'd think, being Solomon's mum, was on Solomon's side. But maybe her years on the sideline have left her bitter. And there's a chance for her own revenge on David. But she's been manipulated by Adonijah. Bathsheba goes to Solomon. I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. Let Abishag the Shunammite be given in marriage to your brother Adonijah. What will Solomon do? He's no fool. He sees through Adonijah. He judges his motives. Why do you request Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? You might as well request the kingdom for him. After all, he's my older brother. Yes, for him and for Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. And then just as the, ja the drama of all chap chapter 1 turned on the pronouncement of the king... So too, the drama of chapter 2 turns on the pronouncement of the new king. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if Adonijah does not pay for his life for this request. And now, as surely as the Lord lives, he who has established me securely on the throne of my father David and has founded a dynasty for me as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon gave orders to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and he struck down Adonijah. And he died. And then he dealt with his other opponents who had supported Adonijah. He defrocked Abiathar, the priest, sent him home. Priest no more. He ordered Joab, the army commander, be struck down. Joab once again flees to the only safe place, to the altar, like Adonijah had done so in chapter 1. But even the altar wasn't a safe place for someone who had opposed the king. Solomon ordered that Joab be killed there. Benaiah struck him down. Last of all, Shimei, the low life who'd made a mockery of David. 
Shimei was shown mercy on the condition that he not leave the city. Shimei agreed. But three years, late, three years later, he broke his word and his life became forfeit. You know in your heart all the wrong you did to my father, David. Now the Lord will repay you for your wrongdoing. Verse 46. Then the king gave the order to Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He went out and struck Shimei down and he died. Now I want you to see the kingdom significance of this final judgment of the last of David's opponents. Solomon said, Now the Lord will repay you for your wrongdoing, verse 45, but King Solomon will be blessed and David's throne will remain secure before the Lord forever. By the end of chapter 2, the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. So that's what happens in 1 Kings 1 and 2. It's a story of rivalry, alliances, plots, counterplots, assassinations. It's fascinating, but how do we make sense of it? We need to step back and see, see it within the wider story of the kingdom of God in the whole Bible. In the garden, the kingdom was there in outline. God makes a people for himself tasked with ruling the world under him in relationship with him in a place of blessing and flourishing. But then the man and the woman did an Adonijah. They stage a coup attempt. They declare themselves king in their own right. They reject God's rule, only to find themselves ejected and outside of God's place of blessing, outside of his kingdom in a place of curse. That's where we are. But then God makes a promise to Abraham to undo the curse in the world by blessing Abraham with a people who would once, who would, sorry, who would become God's people and blessing him with a place, a land to flourish in once again. A people belonging to God in a place of blessing, the ingredients of the kingdom of God. God even promised Abraham kings. He said, kings will come from you. By the time of the Exodus, Abraham's family has become God's people, saved by God, ruled by God through God's law given to Moses. But there are still key ingredients missing. They have no place, they have no land, and they have no king. By the time of the judges, Samson and all those guys, they have a land, the promised land. But by the end of Judges, the rule of God has gone. The last verse of Judges, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. There was now stated need for a king who would himself be ruled by God. And that's the contribution of the next books, the books of Samuel, where kingship comes to Israel, first with Saul, then with David, a king after God's own heart. David secures Israel's borders against her enemies to make the land a land that is ripe for blessing under Solomon. And so it's under Solomon in 1 Kings that we really see the golden age of the kingdom of God. God's people who flourish as never before in a place marked as God's place by the temple which Solomon builds. Under God's chosen king, the king endowed with God's wisdom. 1 and 2 Kings document Israel's history under Solomon and the kings after him. But things are never so great as they are at the beginning under Solomon. In fact, by the end of two kings, human kingship has proved a complete disaster. Which means the kingdom under Solomon is the best illustration of the kingdom that Jesus says will come. 
And then, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus comes proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near. And he teaches his, desire, his disciples that when they pray, they should pray for God's kingdom to come. Now, in view of the story we've covered, that may leave you shocked. But there are key differences between Solomon's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom. Crucially, we do not use the sword, right? Jesus told Peter, put your sword away. He warned him, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Meaning that the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the use of the sword done in the name of Jesus were all misapplications of reading one Kings into our own lives. We are not to use the sword. The reason is what Jesus said to Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God under David and Solomon was of this world. It was a real geographical place with borders and real enemies and therefore the need for an army. But Jesus' kingdom is not like that, not yet. It will be when God brings in the new Jerusalem on Christ's return. But for now, the kingdom is in the lives of people. Those who've stopped doing an Adonijah, wanting to be king for themselves, and instead have turned to Jesus and admitted him the king who died for them and enthroned him as Lord and king in their lives. That's where the kingdom of God is. But there are differences. As there are differences, there are also similarities. 1 Kings chapter 1 asked, who will be king? Well, the answer is not you or me, not Adonijah, nor anyone like Adonijah. It all hinges on the pronouncement of the one who really is king, the Lord God himself. That's what everything hinges on. In Psalm 2, the Lord makes his pronouncement. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. In Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has risen from the dead, Peter declares what God had declared in the resurrection. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, and just like David's pronouncement about Solomon was made quietly in an inner room, but soon the news was heard everywhere, Solomon is king. It's the same with God's pronouncement about Jesus, made quietly in an inner room, a tomb. Paul says in Romans 1 that through the spirit of holiness, Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. It was the king's pronouncement. Jesus would be the king of God's kingdom. Who will be king? Jesus is the answer. And as with Solomon, Revelation says that the trumpets will blast and the earth will shake at the sound of his coming as king. Well, that's 1 Kings 1. 1 Kings 2 asks the question, what must the king do about those who oppose his reign and the reign of his father? The answer is that he will put down his opponents. And you might think, hang on, you said there'll be no sword. Just because Jesus told us not to use a sword doesn't mean that he won't. If you read Revelation 14, you'd read of a very frightening image of the King of Kings executing judgment on those who've opposed him. And if that sounds altogether too harsh, we need to learn the lesson from 1 Kings chapter 2. 
The only way Solomon's kingdom was firmly established in his hands was when those who had opposed his reign were put down. Adonijah, Joab, Shimei. Real people with real names. In other words, the golden age of the kingdom of God under Solomon could only be golden because judgment had already been executed on those who opposed his reign. At the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20 describes the end times judgment. Revelation 21 and 22, the last chapters, describe the coming of the kingdom of God in the new Jerusalem. There is a reason why chapter 20 comes before chapters 21 and 22. You can only have lasting peace, everlasting peace, when those who are opposed and remain opposed are dealt with. Otherwise, there can be no peace. To have heaven on earth, it's necessary that there first actually be a day of judgment. So when we pray, your kingdom come, and now know what that must involve, there's two things we must do, two things we cannot fail to do. The first is we must side with the Lord's anointed. We must stop being Adonijah. So let me ask, is that you? Are you being Adonijah? We must stop it. God has declared and made Jesus the true king. And if we oppose him and rail against him with our good looks and even our parties in our own name, celebrating our stand against him, we need to know he will come and he'll put us down forever. We do need to side with the Lord's anointed. Secondly, 1 Kings 1 and 2 teaches us we need to be wise to the Lord's opponents. There is a reality. The opponents to Jesus' reign are real. Now, I know that you know this, but we mustn't be surprised when this difference of allegiance comes out as a core difference amongst people who we work with, people who we're friends with, people who are nice and good people. There's a reality and there's also a pull. Bathsheba felt the pull of Adonijah, even though she was on Solomon's side. He appealed to that part of her that was like him, the desire to somehow oppose the king in some way. Well, are you on Jesus' side, but like Bathsheba, are you compromised? Do you want Jesus to be your king, but part of you also wants to oppose his rule? Is there some... Sin in your life which you're consciously playing with. Some aspect of your life which you've pulled back from his lordship. He sees it and in the end he'll uncover it. God has spoken to us through this word. We live in a messy time. It's not clear that God has made Jesus king. But Jesus will be acknowledged by king as everyone because God has pronounced it. In Jesus' resurrection. And so it's wise to be on his side. Every knee will bow before him. When we pray, your kingdom come, God will answer that prayer. But on the final day, it will not be without mess nor without bloodshed. In fact, it cannot be. To have heaven on earth, it's necessary that Christ first judge those who remain opposed to him. We must make sure that's not us. Side with Christ.
be wise to his opponents. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a serious word. In the drama of what happened with David and Solomon, we see a picture, not a perfect picture, but a picture of what will come. And Lord, we pray, help us to learn the lesson and to be on Jesus' side and to take him seriously. In Jesus' name, amen.